Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and all you enthusiasts of the automobile. It's time for GTFM Radio to move up a gear. It's time for Driver's Seat. Your favourite monthly motoring magazine, but of course on the radio, only on GTFM 107.9 and online at gtfm.co.uk. And the man who will be keeping these things on track, GTFM's resident motoring guru, Mr Ian Edwards. Well, good evening, boys and girls. This is Ian Edwards, and welcome along to the, let me count now, yeah, it'll be March, March edition of Driver's Seat, broadcast live and exclusive from the Driver's Seat Garage on GTFM 107.9, online at gtfm.co.uk, and of course, phone apps, smart speakers, generally pretty much everything you can pick it up on and uh, it is again twinned with the boston classic car club in lincolnshire and joining me in the driver's seat garage tonight and this is all live trust me the last hour and a half has been quite interesting let's just say that uh we've actually got a gentleman by the name of dave richards now dave i got on last month and uh, we chatted briefly about car sos and we also chatted about the amazing things that body shop people do in car body shops in terms of the work that they do and the engineering and it really just goes unappreciated so uh, we'll be speaking to dave richards now the twist in that interview is that he's in stuttgart yeah, and I don't mean the one just past Pont de Poole either. It's the one in Germany. So the phone bill will be mega, but do you know what? I don't care. Um, right, before Dave, I'll actually be speaking to Tim Nash. Now, Tim uh, organised last year, very successfully organised, uh, more so than he thought it would be, uh, the Lombard Bath Rally. And I went along there to see it, and it was awesome. It was just, oh, it was just bringing it all back to me. So uh, Tim's got a little um, little event he's involved with that I found out about a couple of weeks ago, and it's in Wales, and it's on June the sixteenth. So to find out, you've got to hang around because around just after seven thirty, I'll be speaking to him now. If if he picks his phone up which uh, he did about 10 minutes ago when I said that um, uh, we needed a record that he liked, so we popped one in for him. Um, Fuzz Townsend, you might have heard of him, Car SOS. So um, cross your fingers for me, because I'm going to try and ring him and uh, get him on and get him chatting about tyres, those little four patches of rubber that are very important when it comes to driving your classic. So let's get on with it then. And I bet uh, that uh, all of those people who are recipients of uh, the services of Car SOS do, once they see their shiny new classic, uh, do have the time of their lives. And of course, Fuzz and Tim work all of the day and all of the night. How smooth is that? Good evening, Mr. Townsend. 
That was a smooth link, Ian. Very smooth. <laughs> Betting oh. in mind, honesty kicks in. I did cut you off at some point, but we got you back. First, first of all, all not a problem. Thank you very much for this again. I really, really, really appreciate it. That's cool. Um, but the first thing we've got to talk about are those four little bits of patches of rubber that connect our classics to the floor. Um, people. Well, so yeah. Hold on there a minute, Ian. Sometimes it's only three. Sometimes it's only two. Sometimes it's only three. Sometimes it's only two. Do you know what? You corrected me already. I'm sorry, Mr. Okay. First Townsend. I digress. Carry on. Yeah. So what I was going to say is that, I mean, lots of things we take for granted in life. And actually, we put so much, for want of a better phrase, responsibility down to those tyres and not thinking about it. We don't yeah. really think about what they go through. So why tyres and what has prompted you to come up and say, look, we got to think about our tyres? OK, right. Look, you know, tyres tires are, um, you know, are the only thing that, uh, that give us a point of contact between the road and our motor vehicle. That's, that's it, basically. That's all we've got. And, and tyres deteriorate over time. And it's, it's a really great idea if you've got a car, whether it's a classic or if it's a modern car, or, you know, a relatively modern car, it's a great idea to just keep your tyres up to date. Um, simply... I, I'm suggesting that uh, going no no uh, no further than ten years from the point of manufacture, from the date of manufacture, is a sensible option, uh, and that then can that then will cover uh, most brands of tyres. You know, sometimes sometimes a great, you know, sometimes uh, you know can last can last for longer, but um, but it's it's an unknown, and you need to know exactly what's gone into those tyres to know how long they're going to last and how long they're going to be able to keep their uh, keep their efficacy. Mm. And, and, of course, the dangerous thing is, is that, and, and I don't want to be too harsh on this, but perhaps part of me does, the amount of times you read an advert and said, oh, it's on the original tyres, that scares the... Out to me, really, isn't it? They're making a sales point of it, and yet, conceivably, some of these tyres might be 15, 20 years old. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, I think that's happening less and less nowadays. I mean, certainly, certainly, you know, a few years ago, I used to see that quite often. You know, with um, with people saying, you know, still on the original metric spec tyres. Um, but you know, I think perhaps one of the thing, one of the ways that we can get a, we can get away from this, um, you know, keeping to absolutely everything original is well, okay, if you've taken a set of original tyres off. Well, you know, give them to the give them to the person who buys the car. You know, when you sell the car or whatever, what have you, or show them with the car. But what I would suggest is that clubs and uh, and also um, you know and events, you know, sort of rallies and, and stuff like that and gatherings, um, if they're sort of like having a having a judging on originality. I don't think that actual original tyres should come down to it. Maybe it should come down to original specification tyres. Yeah, that's right, because, I mean, obviously it was interesting you mentioned metric there. Well, obviously, I was, well, I say obviously, um, I was with uh, Howells of Cardiff, which was a, 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 a Austin Rover dealer, and, of course, you had the uh, the Montego and the Metro for a while, both of those yeah, on, yeah, on metric. Yeah, exactly so. So you know now now there are a few metric tires being you know manufactured again now so so and the the other thing is that 
the more frequently we change our tyres, uh, the, 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 the lower the price will be because the more tyres that will be made. So all we've got to do is, at the other end, come up with a, a good way of recycling our tyres. Um, you know, there, there are loads of sort of um, play surfaces and that that can use uh, that can use sort of like you know old shredded tires and stuff like that to be um, you know to to make it so that they have less of an impact on the environment. Well, that's right, and of course the other thing is normally on our dailies we use them so much, or even to be fair on some classics when people do a fair bit of mileage, yeah. something that doesn't even come into the equation. Yeah, for sure. So you know, it's really, really, you know, if, if we're if we're driving our cars, then you know we need to we need to make sure that we've got good contact with the road, good points of contact with the road, and you know we can uh, we can even drive the um, drive the the industry in a, in a you know if we if we shout up and say actually you know you you people driving modern cars shouldn't have tyres that are over ten years old on your cars. And if we're doing that as a as a as a committed group of um, classic car users, then you know we can we can help drive uh, drive that kind of um, that kind of motto, you know. And and of course the other thing, generally checking your car now, obviously is that when when we were much younger and we had our first cars or something, it was almost a rite of passage that every week you had to check the oil, check the water, yeah. check the tires. Whereas now cars just seem to go on forever without needing any oil, without needing any water, and therefore people have moved away from actually checking tires. And the other thing is, and this is yeah. one thing that winds me up, is that people have gotten away from checking using a tire gauge and a pump outside their house drive somewhere where the tyres are then warmed up and the pressures are all out yeah absolutely well that's that is what happens now so you know really really realistically speaking you know maybe there needs to be sort of like a little bit of a, a re-education process when it comes to, to to using cars and classic cars as well because you know people need to know what it what you know what what um what it is they need to do perhaps um perhaps there will be uh you know uh, a bit of um, even classic car stuff. So you know, come along and you know we'll do a basic how to uh, how to how to keep your classic on the road course. You know, just the most the very basics. Yeah, and um, now it isn't often I say this to to a guest, and it isn't often I say this to my listeners. But what I'm actually advising advising my listeners is that come eight o'clock now, you should be tuning into Fuzz and not me uh, for a, a, a new. Uh, a new episode of Car SOS. So what's happening on tonight's Car SOS? Where is it and what time does it start? Okay, so tonight's Car SOS is on the National Geographic channel and it starts at 8pm and tonight you will be watching um, us working on a Toyota Celica, an ST22 from 1972, 71-72. That's the gorgeous one. That's the yeah. pretty one. That is, and they just they just rubbished it after that, didn't they? Well, you know, it's it, the the size of it. It's very similar to a sort of like Ford Escort in size, but uh, actually, having driven many Escorts and now having driven uh, Celicas, as wasn't a twin cam, as was a sort of like Bogo standard one kind of thing. But um, but I've got to say, it spanked the pants of the Escort. You know, just if we're talking about basic on the road cars, I've got to say, yeah, the Toyota was great. And with regard to your your live show when you kicked off the whole thing, um, oh, what was live show? Yeah, what was what was that like for you? Um, that was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it actually because um, 
you know, I have to say that I'd never presented, um, you know, anything like a, a normal live TV show or anything like that. So that was good. It was great having the audience there who were able to sort of um, watch during the course of the day as we did some work, you know, in the gallery at the at the um, at the British Motor Museum over there in Gaydon. So they were able to sort of like watch us watch the project progress happening as we were working on the on the on the Land Rover a little bit. And it was great, you know, finally to have the have the reveal in front of uh, a load of car SOS fans. So, um, you know, I know there were a few people who were whinging, saying, saying, "Oh, it's too much like Top Gear." But man, we made we made that show on a fraction of that sort of budget, and we wanted to see if um, if it could be done, and to, to see if there was any appetite for that kind of show. Uh, maybe there is. It's going out and it's going out in South Africa, and um, I think. Oh no, it's going out in South Africa next week. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it works around the world. So in the UK, I've got to say that you know the, the numbers, the viewing numbers, were actually you know consolidated, were quite good. But you know a lot of people, a lot of people um, in the classic car world are set in their ways, and you know perhaps just wanted car SOS. They didn't want us, didn't want to see us trying anything new, and I. I completely appreciate that and um and i respect that you know i understand as well but if there were two different shows maybe they shouldn't have both been called car sos well maybe it's more a case of the fact that and that hopefully you'll get this one is that when you go to a gig as a band instead of playing your well-known material you come out with a new album and play that and they're going well we didn't want the old stuff i suppose yeah, it's that well, kind of thing isn't it <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've done that before, and I know how that feels, so yes, you're bang on right. That's exactly what it was. Correct. Right, now then, okay, well, I pulled it round. Uh, now then, sir, so what, what, how many weeks have we got left now, and what cars are they? And also, I'll slip in a little cheeky question at the end then, is the terrestrial yeah. television, because not everybody has got the the certain thing, so sure. terrestrial television, do we know when it's going on normal telly? Okay, well, Series 6 is currently showing on on more for um, on Monday nights, Monday evenings, I think at 9pm. Um, so so people, can, people who haven't seen uh, Series 6 can, can watch that on, uh, on more for uh, on Mondays. And then, um, I, then Series 7 will likely come to more for around, uh, well, it probably won't be until December or January, um, you know, maybe January 2020. Um, because it generally tends to be about a year after broadcast, so so people who haven't got uh, haven't got that channel need to um, need to perhaps uh, um, you know pop pop around and uh, take a take a bottle of wine around to a friend's house or something or a couple of beers or a box of chocolates and uh, persuade them to turn in tune into into Car SOS on National Geographic at eight pm. Right, lovely. You're selling that now. Something else you want to be selling? NEC. Um, I've I've actually got a dream that one day I'll go to a motor show, see you there, and actually have a more than a thirty second conversation with you, which we did at Race Retro. Um, so, um, practical classics now on their Resto show at the end of March. What can people expect? Obviously, Mr. Townsend yourself is going to be there. Um, other stuff that we can expect. Well, look, there'll be a whole load of enthusiasts, a whole load of clubs who have uh, who have worked very hard on their cars, and individuals who've worked on their cars over the past past um, 
few months to get them there. There'll be some inspirational, inspirational demonstrations and tips from various, various um, people from the industry and from uh, and from the clubs as well. It's a great way of getting to getting to meet a few people. Uh, if you if you're thinking of buying a car, it's a great way of getting to know getting to know people in the clubs and getting a few hints and tips there. If you want to pick up new skills, then you can meet people who will be able to put you in touch with people in your area who can help with that. Or maybe even if there's nobody in your area, um, you know, put you, put you uh, in the right direction for, um, for residential courses, which there are more and more of out there. Um, and generally speaking, you, you know, you can meet a few people... Uh, Few people from the industry. You can meet me down on the uh, on the on the Carol Nash Insurance Stand, which is the Barn Find Stand. I'll be there on all three days. So you know, come down and just just meet people who are sort of like getting on with it and enjoying it, and get get inspired and get those cars out of the garages and back onto the roads. And was there any particular moment from this new series now, first, just to wrap it up? Um, that that for you will stick in your mind or was it all of them the reveals any particular moment for you yeah uh, and once again we've had sort of like a fairly a fairly sad and poignant moment in in this series which we didn't want to have um where uh but, but I'll, I'll let people sort of like get to get to get to that that show when they get to it um however i think really what it's what is what I've really realised this this series is that um, um, it's it's not it's not about Tim and me, and it really isn't about Tim and me. It's about everybody who gets involved in car SOS from the people from the people who nominate the cars and the people um, down down through the through the guys in my workshop and also all of the um, all of the contributors. You know, the contributing firms. You know, people, people upholsterers. Uh, there are there are you know sort of paint strippers, and uh, there are electrical suppliers, and part motor factors, and all the, just everybody who gets involved. There's a massive amount of goodwill and and good vibes and good feelings that go through our show. So you know, forget Tim and me. It's all about those people. And then it's about the recipients of the car. So everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, and and to and to be fair with Tim, they do play play up to him, really, don't they? And that, and that that's nice. Yeah, and Tim's a naughty boy, but listen, that man's heart's in the right place, and he gets a lot from people, um, and, and he gets a lot from companies, you know, for you know, with his cheekiness. Fair enough, he does it, and yes, a lot of people get a bit wound up about it but you know he, he does he does the right thing and he gets he gets he actually does get his good deal he gets himself as well at the same time. but you know that's by the by yeah absolutely i was going to say no i and to be fair i i, I interviewed tim uh oh just before the uh nec classic car show last year what a yep. lovely bloke and he actually admitted <laughs> on air that he'd gone through he'd gone through his own problems you know so that's why he puts his heart and soul into it Hold on, what did you say? What a lovely bloke. Are you sure you interviewed Tim Shaw? Well, maybe it was another Tim Shaw from oh, Doctor yeah, Who yeah. or something, something like that, yeah. Yeah, maybe it was Maybe it was the one-off Doctor Who. <laughs> I bet he's had a bit of ribbit about that one, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, of course he has. Of course he has. <laughs> and uh, good, uh, good on them. I, got, I, can't, I couldn't believe that when that happened. That was brilliant. 
Well, I, I, I did get some looks when I was shouting Car SOS at the telly, being a Doctor Who fan, but there you go. Anyway, I'm also a Car SOS fan, looking forward to it coming to the normal telly, unless I go around to some of my um, richer neighbours and see if they've got it on there. But first... Exactly. Yeah, look, look, get the box of chocolates out. <laughs> and get the bunch of flowers going, oh, I've missed you. I've really missed you. <laughs> and, uh, what are you watching at 8 o'clock? Wonderful. Tim, you've been a... Uh, Tim. Um... First, <laughs> um, yeah, you've been amazing, mate, as ever, and we'll catch up with you at the NEC. All right, okay. Thank Thanks, you. buddy. Turn up. Bye. Bye. Bye to all. Bye. GTFM. GTFM. Hi, this is Lucy Owen of Forrester's Car Club, and you're listening to Driver's Seat with Ian Edwards on GTFM 107.9. Driver's Seat. Well, it was always, always only going to be one song I could play there. That was dual propaganda from, of course, the uh, the old RAC Rally Days Rally Report. And I suppose now, uh, Mr. Tim Nash, you can actually tell your grandchildren that you actually had as a warm-up act Fuzz Town's End. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Right, Tim Nash. Now then, uh, for those who don't know who Mr. Tim Nash is, Mr. Tim Nash is going to tell them who Mr. Tim Nash is. So go and tell them, Mr. Tim Nash. Okay. Well, for those of you who don't know, I'm uh, I'm, I'm the very foolish chap who came up with the idea last year, well, actually two years ago now, for running Lombard Rally Bath, which ran for the first time last year and is running again later this year. And uh, as a result of uh, of that, I seem to have uh, been in danger of uh, of, uh, of taking over South Wales uh, classic car events. I think <laughs> quite by accident, really, because uh, I'm here to tell you about another one: uh, the Celtic Manor Weekend of Sport and Speed, and uh, particularly the motoring part of that on uh, Ju- Sunday, June the sixteenth. So basically, that that that's about Father's Day, isn't it? It is indeed Father's Day. <laughs> oh Great. well, what a yeah. what a what a what a Father's Day present! Right, indeed. I was about to say, what a wonderful Father's Day present for all you people to buy your uh, your lovely fathers or whatever. <laughs> uh, now, so how did, how did this how did this come about then? Right. Well, the second Lombard Rally Bath, as some people will know is going to spend, uh, despite its name, much of its uh, time in South Wales. And quite um, right, too. Let's get that one in. <laughs> of course. And uh, the uh, the dinner for uh, Lombard Rally Bath is going to take place at the Celtic Manor Resort on the edge of Newport, prior to which we'll also be going to be running, in the dark, a stage through the grounds of the Celtic Manor Resort. And uh, there is a a very, very nice piece of road, which is hardly ever used, which runs from the uh, Astakalian Road um, through the back end of the resort and, and, and comes out through the 2010 Golf Club um, down to the, uh, the, the, the five-star Celtic Manor Hotel. And uh, that piece of road is adjacent to a, a, a piece of land that they use once a year for a polo tournament. 
So uh, yours truly, when he decided to uh, hire the piece of road for Lombard Rally Bath, said, oh, we could put on a great classic car event here, you know, on that, uh, that piece of grass. And guess what? That's what we're doing. Well, that's right. He was going to say that, that you lobbed it over the wall and uh, and obviously then was like, oh, you're giving it me back, really? Okay, then, what do you, well, get on with it, Tim, you know. So, um, so with regard to there, there being a, a, obviously it's heavily motorsport-wise, so what sort of things are you trying to pull out the woodwork to uh, to produce oh, well. in South Wales now? Okay, well, for the first time in many years, we will have some current Formula One cars. Uh, we will have the Williams Grand Prix team. We will have hopefully three other Grand Prix teams, all current teams with cars that are, uh, if not the 2019 car, will be within a couple of years of that, uh, all on static display. One of those teams uh, a couple of years ago ran one of our uh, our esteemed guests, Rosemary Smith, to get her into the uh, Guinness Book of Records as the oldest person to ever drive a uh, Formula One car. And so we will have uh, Rosie with us from Ireland to tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about other her, uh, other things that she's done in her long motorsport career. Uh, we will have a number of Welsh rally drivers, such as Nicky Grist, Dyke Ellen. Matt Edwards, the uh, current national rally champion, uh, and others uh, with us, and with um, around about 25 to 30 current and uh, and classic rally cars from uh, the famous uh, ex-Bill Benji uh, Volkswagen Beetle that uh, is seen around classic car events through to uh, Matt Edwards' uh, current uh, Fiesta R5. And and of course, as far as uh, Wales being the, the the home of rallying, I've got to get that one in. Um, but it's just it's just nice that we've got an event now here in Wales on our doorstep, and a and a potentially a massive event. I mean, there's a certain other event that happens in Goodwood, uh, and there's no reason, given the venue, uh, just how far this event could go. Well, this year we will be running demo runs along this. Uh, rather nice piece of road um and uh, possibly in the future who knows we may be able to take that further to uh, the level of what goes on on the hill at, Col- at goodwood uh, but this year there will be demo run- runs only uh and we will be selling on the day rides in with matt edwards on that piece of road in his fiesta r5 uh, we will be offering rides with uh, Dyke Llewellyn in, a, in an Audi Quattro uh, and uh, one or two others. We are hoping that we may well have a, a two-seat, single-seat car, if you know what I mean, um, which uh, people will also be able to have a ride uh, in with a well-known driver along that piece of road as well. So we will be offering some interesting things. We are negotiating as part of the uh, Welsh connection. We are negotiating to have a, a UOP shadow Formula One car from the 1970s. And uh, we will be uh, offering a trophy to the winner of the one of the events taking place in, during the day, which will be named after the late Tom Price. 
Oh, well, that's good, because, I mean, to be honest with you, is that uh, whilst a lot of us of a certain age uh, were fully aware of, of Tom, uh, that young man at the time his his potential he just happened to be in the wrong car at the wrong place but when he was given half a chance i mean race of champions he won at a canter and then of course he he put that shadow on pole at brands hatch in 1975 as well he did indeed and was a, a driver heading for uh, for great things uh, at the time of his uh, his untimely death and very such a such a tragic and unnecessary way to die um, we have uh, we have spoken at some length with uh, with his widow Nella, uh, who now lives in the south of France, um, and we are hoping that Nella will be with us uh, on the day as well. Um, to continue the Welsh connection, we will have uh, cars represented from uh, the, uh, the, the 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 South Wales makes um, Gilburn uh, from the 1960s 1970s. And uh, we will, of course, have uh, Darien uh, rally cars with us as well. And with regard to other stuff going on now, you're talking about uh, a little bit of a few bands there, maybe you're working on that there and the other be, stuff. Yeah, yeah, there will be some music uh, on the stage um, go, going on during the day. Uh, also on the stage, there will obviously be interviews, uh, uh, which will be carried out by uh, the legendary Graham Robson who uh, many of you will know as uh, the writer of some uh, remarkable motorsport books over the years. And uh, we should also have another uh, person uh, commentating on the day as well, uh, who, uh, who, who hopefully um, we're expecting it to be somebody from, from Wales. Um, we will have uh, quite a selection of uh, racing cars on display, um, we have some uh, Group C sports cars coming, including one of the uh, well-known silk-cut Jaguars. Um, we uh, are negotiating on the arrival of a couple of uh, Can-Am sports cars from the 1960s. We uh, we also ha- will have a, quite a, a, a display of cars that have taken part in the uh, British Touring Car Championship over the years, ranging from a uh, a Studebaker from the uh, late 1950s through uh, Lotus Cortinas, um, Mondeos, um, uh, Metro Turbos, uh, through to a, uh, a Peugeot from the uh, early part of the 2000s. So you've got pretty much everything there. Do you, but would you be interested in, in having clubs in South Wales if they've got some tidy motorsport-related cars getting in touch with you, or maybe am I well, talking indeed, out of place? Will, yeah, no, we will be sending out invites to uh, both classic uh, car and uh, competition clubs who uh, might like to come along and uh, be represented. Um, we are negotiating with a, a particular um, group of, uh, of motorsport people um, to come along as a, as, a, as a charity involved in the event, which um, we hope to uh, that we hope to be confirming that in the next few days. Um, who are um, uh, in, involved in re- rehabilitation, if I can just put it that way, without telling you exactly who they are. Um, we're hoping that they will be with us. Uh, we also have um, a number of uh, very well-known motorsport figures who um, should be with us. Again, it's, as you can imagine, it takes quite a lot of negotiation with all these things. Um, but uh, 99% sure on a number of those. Uh, finally, the other thing that we will be doing is that we will be having a, a full-blown concourse d'élégance um, with uh, five different classes of different um, cars, including um, 
we will be uh, uh, having a representation from the uh, British Racing Drivers Club who will be having a, a driving uh, concourse. So they will be able to drive, they will be driving cars from Silverstone across to, uh, to Celtic Manor. And uh, all they will be allowed to do is to push the car, nothing else, once it's arrived. And uh, those cars will be um, those cars will also be taking uh, part in, 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 in one of the concourse uh, classes. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I mean, it just sounds like as ever now is that the amount of times Wales as as a nation punched above its weight. It sounds like with this event, we'll be punching well above our weight and and actually bringing the world of motorsport, the historic world of motorsport, right to right on our doorstep. We will indeed. Um, and the other thing that we will be doing, which uh, um, I, I, I will, although it's not actually been uh, totally uh, agreed, but I will I will say that all being well, absolutely 99.5% certain, uh, there will be a big screen. People will be able to watch Le Mans, uh, which is taking part that weekend. So they will be able to watch uh, the conclusion of Le Mans on the big screen as well. Well, that's amazing. So really, it's, it's to be honest then, Tim, is that the important thing now is that we, as, as an area and classic car enthusiasts, motorsport enthusiasts, uh, have got a good chance of having an event <laughs> for life, if you like. So really, we've got to support it. So where can they go to find more information on this? OK, well, to buy tickets, you now right, and get more information, go on to the Celtic uh, Manor website, and uh, you will find that uh, events uh, are listed there, events in June, and the tickets are available. They are available this month only at £15 each, so that's an early bird offer uh, through to the end of March. Um, from the beginning of April, they will be £18 each, but uh, even at £18 each, I think that's damn good value. Well, I was going to say, you know, I mean, you look at some of the other events in England with the quality of of the um, the cars on show, and that wouldn't even sort of get you in the car park, basically. Quite true. So, uh, right, you've got a minute now, sir, to actually sell. Um, you've got one up in Yorkshire now at the moment. Well, when is that happening? Okay, yes, we have two more events running uh, of our, our rally recreation events this year. We have uh, Nintex Rally Yorkshire, which is uh, uh, 26th to 28th of April, so the last weekend in April, the one that's the weekend after Easter, based in York, um, visiting uh, classic rally venues such as Bramham Park and uh, Church Fenton, Harewood Hill Time and so on. Uh, and um, anybody who'd like to come and see it, please uh, have a look at the website, mintexrallyyorkshire.co.uk, or we even have a few entries left and two hire cars left, so if somebody's feeling like they'd like to have some fun, they can even hire a car and take part. Excellent, and so uh, just again now for the final time now, as far as the Celtic Manor, so uh, what's the actual title of the V event now then, again? It's the Celtic Manor Weekend of Sport and Speed because on the fr- Saturday we have the uh, or they have the the uh, polo event and on Sunday, June the sixteenth, you have motoring at the Manor. Right. Okay. And again, just final uh, one final thing now is to um, to again give the uh, the details of where people can go to get more details. Right, Celtic Manor website, uh, and uh, you will find uh, listed the events, 
uh, on there, and uh, in June you will find all the details, or under the month of June you will find all the details of the event. And it will also be appearing um, on their Facebook page, and we will also have very soon our own Facebook page up as well. Excellent, Tim. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I don't think, as far as GTFM and driver's seat is concerned, this is going to be the last time we hear from you. All right, but for the moment, Tim, thanks very much indeed, mate. No problem. I promise to keep you updated with uh, with all the things that uh, get added over the next few weeks. Absolutely. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Bye-bye. At the heart of the community, GTFM. Okay, well, my thanks to uh, Mr. Tim Nash. And before that, uh, the legend that is Mr. Fuzzington Townsend. Right, second hour. Uh, Hopefully, and again, this is live, so uh, if anything goes wrong, yeah, it is all my fault. Um, We've actually got Mr. Dave Richards, and he'll be uh, discussing the skills needed in body shops and uh, just how skillful those guys are. And uh, we've actually had our final guest confirmed, which I didn't mention earlier, because we hadn't had it confirmed. See, this is that live. Right, so that'll be Ali Davis of the uh, Port Talbot Motor Club. Right? And he'll be talking about a little rally that's taking place this weekend. So up to the news. Sarah Fleetwood Mac. I love this. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and all you enthusiasts of the automobile. It's time for GTFM Radio to move up a gear. It's time for Driver's Seat. Your favourite monthly motoring magazine, but of course, on the radio. Only on GTFM 107.9 and online at gtfm.co.uk. And the man who will be keeping these things on track, GTFM's resident motoring guru, Mr. Ian Edwards. Right, now, for those of you who are wondering, there I am going to, about to speak to Dave Richards about body shops, and you're thinking, what has a German group got to do with Dave Richards? Uh, good evening, sir. Good evening. Right, now then, so can you explain why and how much trouble I'm going to get in when you explain where we are ringing you to? Well... You are going to get in a lot of trouble because you're calling me to speak to your listeners in Wales and around the world on the internet um, to Germany, and I'm in Stuttgart. So I'm actually in the show halls in Stuttgart at the Stuttgart Retro Classics um, car show. Right, so if somebody, so how long is that show going on? And if somebody wants to go out there, have they still got time? They have still got plenty of time because the the show preview day is today, and then the show opens officially tomorrow morning, 
um, at Meta Stuttgart, which is the big show halls right next to Stuttgart Airport. And the show runs Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's 16 euros to get in, which is very cheap. And from any of the British airports that fly into Stuttgart, um, you quite easily can fly in, come and do the show. You can do it in a day easily. And then you'll be able to jump on the plane and go home. And what a fabulous adventure day out you'll have if you do that. Well, I was going to say, the other thing that strikes me now, there's a lot of people uh, who don't realise that, of course, even as much as I tell them this is all live, you really couldn't make this up right now, because it is. It is live, and um, you, you might wonder why I'm a little bit echoey, but, of course, I'm in the lobby area of this show... And, you know, I'm literally stood next to some German guys at the moment. There's a security guard on the door to one of the show halls. And then as I look down the staircase, there's this marvellous array of everything from Lamborghini Countach, Mark II Escorts. Obviously, we're in Stuttgart, so there's Mercedes, like you wouldn't believe. Porsche are here in strength, showing some incredibly valuable um, race cars from their history. So it's just a, a feast for the eyes to come and see this. See, see all this automotive joy well I was going to say forget social media I think what we need to do at some motor show some point or another is actually do a live chat walking around the halls that sounds like a yeah, mad idea great. that the 15 year old in my head has just thought up yeah absolutely absolutely right now then you I, I got you on last month and we talked about car sos and we've had the legend that is mr fuzz townsend on and brilliant as ever exactly. um and we didn't give you enough time to talk about body shops so i i was i was mighty impressed as to how quickly you got out pl- several plugs for several of several body shops <laughs> in the area um you've got a tad more time tonight so um yeah. well can can we can we sort of explain your connection and experience as far as body shops go so that you can talk about it um, with some knowledge yeah so when I when I stopped being editor of Classic Car Weekly Fuzz, Fuzz said to me Dave I want you to come up Birmingham meet a mate of mine so I jumped in the car and went up to Birmingham met this chap sitting in a park he's wearing a parka sitting in this really scruffy body shop office and Fuzz said, Woody, this is Dave Richards. Um, you're going to employ him to be the project manager on Car SOS and get the cars restored. At which point Woody, that's his nickname, looked, looked a little bit askance and uh, sort of agreed with what Fuzz was saying. So I ended up doing quite a few series for Car SOS, project managing the cars being restored, because, of course, Fuzz and Tim front the show and do loads of the work, but also they're backed up by a team of people, really gifted, skilled, amazing guys. Um, who were an inspiration. And so for, from 2014 until quite recently, um, you know, I've worked in the body shop environment, surrounded by these guys who've got such skills in their hands that it's a real inspiration. And then in December, uh, another friend of mine approached me and said, oh, we've got a vacancy on our magazine. The magazine's called Body Shop. It's for the crash repair industry. Um, would you be interested in coming for an interview? So off I went for an interview, and lo and behold, they've appointed me as editor. So, you know, since January the 2nd, I'm now embroiled in the world of crash repair body shops and learning a lot, but also really wanting to, I don't know, get the get the glamour and get the skill out there so that the audience understands that what these people do is of huge value and not other people can't do it um 
So that's sort of where I come from as a background on it. And then going forwards, there's the thing that I'm finding out about the the ways in which these modern cars have to be repaired, which is really, really interesting. Right. Now then, we'll go slightly off topic just for a second, because there's a, there's a, there's a question that, that always intrigues me, right? Now, in terms of me being into classics... Uh, the essence of where I'm coming from is that I didn't get a classic. I bought a Mini because it was a driver's car, and I love driving. Now, we have classic car owners who love restoring their cars. Um, where are you in terms of the balance of actually driving cars or working on them? Where would you say your percentage figure is? Oh, that's a really good question because I'm probably... 55% on driving them, showing them, taking them on events, um, having fun on the road in cars, and 45% enjoyment in, you know, getting my hands dirty and my spanners exercised and fixing them. But, you know, I come from a background of, you know, 20 years as an engineer in the motor trade, as a qualified MOT tester. So, actually, the skill levels I've got for fixing mechanical things are probably higher than a lot of people, and I'm quite lucky in that. Um, and, and so that's almost why when I've been in the body shop environment, I end up seeing these guys doing things that I cannot do and being in absolute awe of them. Um, because to take something that's, you know, as you've seen on some of the cars that get restored, you know, dragged out of a hedge, absolutely goosed, and then they spend time and they... They, they, they just have this artistry in the way they can work with metals and paints and, you know, chemical things like that to turn something that was dead back into a live, living, breathing car that you can enjoy out on the road. Mm. And, and again, I mean, where, where we have so much, and I mean, <laughs> driving itself, there's driverless cars come in and we'll, we'll come on to all the bits and pieces on, yeah. on that side. But it is still very much a skill and an art that, quite frankly, a computer, you know, a robot could not do. No, the the art the artisan status of some of these people is incredible. But actually, the you know, when one looks at most people under forty these days, won't have even owned a car that has a manual choke, um, because automatic choke systems started to come in in the nineteen eighties, and of course the nineteen eighties are. 30 plus years ago and so if you're 40 or under you probably never even owned a car without power steering without central mocking with a manual choke that you've had to sort of have the knack of getting that car started modern cars now you just touch the key and they switch on like a light switch and that's a benefit to majority of society but also it's it's a problem in that it, the fact that a car requires less skill to turn on um, means that the skills of tackling starting a car that's a bit iffy, you know, liable to get itself flooded or with a battery that's a bit low and isn't spinning it fast enough, that those skills are getting lost. And well, so I see the sort of balance changing. Mm. Well, it, it was interesting. I mean, uh, when I was having a conversation with Fuzz earlier was the fact that where, for example, every time I take up my Mini, I've got to check the oil, got to check the water, got to te- check the tyres. Whereas I jump into my Panda, which by modern standards is old, but actually is modern compared to the Mini. And I can just run yeah. it for months and months and months on end and not worry about the oil and water. And this is where the youngsters now 
are in a situation where they don't have to bother, so they don't, so they're not interested. Yeah. And, and actually, the, you know, there was a sweet spot in engineering and production tolerances, really, from the sort of early 80s through to the mid-2000s, where cars had achieved a sort of engineer, set of engineering parameters that were totally excellent so that the oil levels never depleted in the sump and the, they never used a drop of coolant. And, of course, the, the cars we've got nowadays, cars made from 2006, 7, 8, up to the present day, are, in their engineering, are even more advanced. But what those technical and computerised attachments on the engine do to create all this huge amount of power out of a one-litre engine... Um, that they stress the metallurgy more and they put more pressure on the, on the fluids that's in a car. And people's, people's levels, you know, the fluids in the car, they need checking more often. You know, we've all heard about these Ford um, Focus and Ford Mondeo one-litre EcoBoost engines, and it's a one-litre engine putting out 130 horsepower. And if you go back to the 70s, you know, cars with two-and-a-half-litre engines didn't put out 130 horsepower. So, so where's that power coming from? It's, it's coming from the, the, the very fine ways that computers can sense different things and force the engine to have that wonderful performance and wonderful fuel economy. But it's shortening the life of, of the engineering. And the other thing that's shortening the life of the engineering components on the car is increased service intervals. So instead of servicing your car every... 6,000 miles, you know, your your old Mini would have had to have a major service every 6,000 miles, engine oil and oil filters and air filters and spark plugs and all the things that go with it. Whereas a modern car is barely going to get looked at in that interval. It's, it's, it might have its levels topped up if you've got a diligent owner, but the, the actual service interval might be anything up to 20,000 miles. And when you've got a little engine not holding much oil in it, that means it doesn't take much for it to end up in a critical level and, and cause some sort of damage if you let the levels drop too much. And I was going to say the other thing is that lobbing sort of cylinders off the traditional four-cylinder car, you know, the Fiat with the twin, the twin air and obviously yeah. Ford with the, the three cylinders that drops to two occasionally. I mean, how yeah. much of a uh, an increase in wear just by lobbing cylinders off, I mean, that's going to affect the engine in the long term, surely? It's going to affect the engine in the long term. And the the metallurgy and the way in which our, our production engineering, by which I mean the sort of the tolerances that things are made to and the tolerances that the raw materials are made from. So if you've got a, a piston ring with a very high content of chromium in it, Actually, in, when they're smelting that particular metal to make those piston rings, the, the, the level of different compounds of metals that go into that one metal that's going to be made into the thing is, is much more closely monitored and accurate. So, so they can get these things far, far more accurate once they're new. But then, of course, they're under far, far more stress once they're in use. And, and this is where the general public is, is sort of falling down, particularly as the, the vehicles, when they're new, they're often on a, a lease plan. Often they're not actually bought outright by the owner. They're company cars or they're on a lease plan. And so for the car manufacturer, they don't want them coming back very often into service because that affects the cost of the lease. Um, whereas 
once once you've got a vehicle and you own it yourself, it is sort of incumbent on you to to take care of it and and look after it. I always feel because who else is is going to do it? Well, that's right, and and I, and I guess then that it's almost a case of a bizarre comparison here is that for manufacturers to say make sure their vehicle hits a competitive 0 to 60 time they raise the gearing enough to be able to do 60 in second and i guess it's the same with service intervals if it's going to be a uh, two-year personal contract purchase then maybe they say oh well the services at the end of the two years to be able to financially do it from an owner's point of view Exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of factors behind it that change things. And then, of course, what other factors are we looking at? We're looking at the factors that, I mean, I know Europe in some circles can be a dirty word, but there is a lot of good that has come out and will come out of things like European legislation. And one of the, one of the, the sort of pre-legislation things that has come out of Europe over the past couple of years is a, a general notification that Europe as a whole wants to achieve by 2050, so that's quite a way in the future, wants to achieve zero road fatalities. And that's not just for occupants and drivers of cars. They want nobody to be killed on the roads by 2050 across mm. the whole of Europe, which as a, as a as a, anybody who's lost a loved one or somebody they know in a, a car crash, you're going to stand up and say, well, yes, I would want that. I mean, I lost a boss in 1983 um, who was killed on the M25. And, and that, that loss affected the whole company. He was a director of the company, and that loss actually changed the way the company operated, literally from that point onwards. And that has a cost implication. It had a huge implication on his family. And if we can avoid people being killed on the roads... Surely that's a good thing mm, from a, a philosophical perspective. Yeah, I mean, and and the other thing, of course, is what springs to mind when you're saying about this sort of uh, of of basically, you know solving the problem of of deaths on the road, as it were. And of course, Volvo have made that declaration as well, haven't they? About they have. you know um, about making cars that that people will simply survive in. Yeah, um, and and but there are ways in which that that is happening and really the the advances in metallurgy that have happened since the turn of the century are one of the drivers uh, sorry for the pun of why modern vehicle body shells are safer because um a, a former 2000 produced car monocoque body shell i.e pressed steel mild steel welded to spot welded together would have a deforming way in which it operated once it was in collision with something it would deform and the manufacturers would make the sills of slightly thicker metal and the b pillars i.e the pillars behind the front doors of slightly thicker metals to try and make the front and rear of the car crush first but once um we've ended up with high boron content in steel and again, we come back to the metallurgy and the way in which different mixes of different metals can be produced much more accurately now and the smelting process. Something like a Volvo XC90 body shell will have possibly six or seven different types of steel within it. And while the front and rear structures in the car might be of mild steel, then as you get towards the sort of safety cage, the bit where you sit in, the structures are going to have higher and higher contents of different uh, trace elements within the steel to make them stronger and stronger. 
So the divisions are that you might have like a steel monocoque with some high-strength steel in the bulkhead and the rear bulkhead and then some super high-strength steel in the sills and then some ultra-high-strength steel in the posts and in the door strengthening bars. And, of course, once you're trying to repair a crash-damaged car that's got these different types of steel in the construction, then, of course, you can't just get your welder and weld it because if you weld it with slightly too much heat, you'll change the metallurgy structure, the crystalline structure within the steels, and you'll build into that car the fact that when it gets hit again on that particular point, it will crush far quicker than the manufacturer intended. And there's a liability issue there because if you've done that to a car, who should pay? Um, should it be the insurer or should it be the body shop that's done it? So, so there's a lot more complication coming into the repair of cars just in terms of that's in terms of the structure. And then in terms of the electronics and onboard systems that um, people like to have, like adaptive cruise control, like automatic emergency braking. Um, but once the car's being repaired and it has those systems on, then it's far, far more complicated than just changing a headlight or just changing a windscreen because even just a windscreen change now will require, if the car has front-facing cameras and front-facing radar and LIDAR on it, um, these are mechanisms by which the car can sense things around it and operate itself for self-parking or you know, cruise control functions, those things have to be calibrated again once the car had its windscreen replaced or once it's had a headlight in it because adaptive LED matrix headlights, you know, an old Golf headlight would be 150 quid, and now a modern Golf headlight, a new Golf, the headlight's going to be £1,500 on its own, and then the car's going to need a sort of four, up to four hours on the calibration rig for the four-wheel alignment and for all the cameras to be calibrated against a grid pattern that's put at a certain distance in front of the car. So that when the owner gets the car back, the onboard systems operate in exactly the same way as they did when the car was new. And so the, these people working in body shops have got to sort of take on all this new technology. And, you know, for a bunch of people who used to, you know, repair each body shell in the same way. They used to take the car to bits, weld it back together, make it straight, paint it nicely, put it back together, send it back to the customer. Now they've got to be really, really good computer engineers, and they've got to be able to read lots and lots of really strict processes from the car manufacturers about how to set these cars up again. Because otherwise, if, if they're not set up again, of course the car's going to be involved in another crash because the camera's looking at the wrong thing and doesn't brake when it should or doesn't follow the car in front of an adaptive cruise control. So it's, you know, the respect I've got for these people working in body shops goes up and up and up as I see how much they've got to face, not just in doing the job they do, but in learning the new technology and the new processes and sticking rigidly to the proper procedures to get the cars repaired. I know it sounds very complicated, but this is the, the complication of the modern world we live in. Well, the irony is, I've, I've got to say this now, obviously, is that I'll ask you one, one telling question at the end of it, um, is that what they're actually saying then is that whilst technology is going the way it is, it costs more and more now because it's a lot more to actually put not just a bumper on, but everything else, as you've explained, it's sensors, etc., etc. So insurance is going to suffer. And yet the other argument is when we get to this world of completely driverless cars, then there will be no accidents. And therefore all these um, 
accident-related items that would impact on the insurance will no longer have to be done. Because everybody, well, every perfect, driverless car is going to be, in theory, perfect. In a perfect world, I totally agree. Um, sadly, my uh, my few years I've been on this planet have revealed to me this top secret, which is uh, that the world, sadly, is not perfect. And even though we try and make it so, it probably never will be. Well, I was going to say, this is this is the question. Fascinating conversation, by the way, sir. And obviously, we'll be sending you the bill. Um, but uh, the question is then, there is a bit of a debate. If driverless cars do happen in terms of every car on the road is driverless, conceivably, how many years are we away from that? Or will it happen at all, Mr. It Richards? Def- it definitely is going to happen. Um, and I think the the really odd thing is that the the general population has no idea about how quickly this thing can happen. Um, there's been a variety of vehicles in testing. There's um, programs such as um, automated deliveries where a little sort of shopping cart thing in Milton Keynes will bring your Amazon delivery or whatever other delivery services are available. Um, and with the power of computing... It's, it's only round the corner, and this is, it, it's a new revolution in motoring that, of course, those of us who are passionate about cars might not want to see happen, because we love driving cars, we love the feel they give us when we drive them, and to jump in a, a box of whatever sort, probably electric, and just program in a destination and let it get on with it, feels a bit uninvolving, but it you know, so the question that society has to be able to answer is, is, is this worth going down? And, and actually, those decisions have already been taken by commercial entities and political entities. So, um, so you're so saying what, then that, that, that the will for it is there from a political and a business sense? Absolutely, because the, you know, there's a lot of non-use of vehicles... You know, at the point you lease a car and then it's parked outside your house, um, wouldn't it be in a car maker's benefit if that vehicle that you're paying some money for, um, at points when you weren't using it, maybe it would be programmed by somebody else and it would the car would drive itself to pick them up and take them somewhere and then be parked back on your drive when you needed it. That surely that would be a more efficient use of resources in, in the manufacturer's eyes. Um, you know, it. it it's, it's an odd concept. We're dealing with some big, big concepts that are going to be quite challenging for some of us to face because I personally love having a variety of cars on my driveway and one day I will decide if I jump in that BMW or this Mini or, you know, that Trabant or whatever to go and drive somewhere. Um, it's, it's going to be a different thing when actually the transport function is devolved down into the specifics of just getting me to a place. So what um, we... What and, we and that yep. makes me sad. Yeah, well, I was going to say now is that we've got to wrap it up, Dave, but you had more than 30 seconds this time. So we, we had a good long chat. So essentially what we're both saying now, and we're advising people, you've got a classic, you've got a classic now, use it and enjoy it. Enjoy it at the moment because we don't know how long it'll be for... Brilliant. Okay. Well, on that really positive note, uh, let's hope you have a good summer and I'll catch up with you in sometime in that summer, mate. But uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Absolutely. It's goodbye from Stuttgart. (laughs) Thank you, Dave.
I do do love that track, and I also love the fact that this could only happen on radio. Um, uh, Mr. Alid Davis, good evening, Alid. Good evening, how are you? Well, I'm fine. Uh, we've known each other for all of ooh, three minutes, haven't we? Just about. <laughs> right then, Alid. Um, so what's your motor club, and why have I specifically got you on tonight to talk about? Uh, well, my motor club is... Uh, I actually am a member of Carmarthen Motor Club, but um, I had the call from a colleague at uh, Patalbert Motor Club. Right, and uh, Patalbert Motor Club have got a little little shindig of a rally going on this weekend. Can you tell us what it is, where it's covering, and a bit of depth about uh, who's competing in it? Yeah, so um, the rally is um, it's the Tour of Epid Rally, and that's the it's the first round of the uh, national tarmac championships, so that sealed surface championship, and it takes place um, over the military ranges in uh, Sennybridge in uh, just um, west east of west of Brecon and uh, east of Llandovery, and uh, it's uh, it's probably about eighty cars uh, taking part. It's the first round of the national championship, as I said, and it's got um, competitors from all over the UK. I was going to say, and I mean, to be fair, I mean, I was talking earlier to, to Tim Nash about the little event they've got going on at uh, Celtic Manor, and I happen to mention just the fact that, well, actually, we're the best rallying country in the world, and whilst they go on about the Isle of Man, uh, you ask anybody with any rallying blood in them at all, you mention the word Epint, and they're away. I mean, it, it's a legendary set of stages, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a fantastic venue, and um, it's it's a training venue for the uh, for the army and the SAS. Not just um, our our soldiers, but people from overseas come there. It's, uh, it's a huge area. It's got uh, it does live firing. You, you can't just wander on the ranges. It's all uh, all protected. But the nature of the road, because um, the army need to move about in all all conditions as well. The actual quality of the surface and the tarmac is very good. And, and in terms of um, excitement, I mean, I've actually, believe it or not, I've actually marshalled up there. Um, Tarawi Motor Club, I think, um, uh, had me up there. Uh, Andrew Bob Long had yeah. me up there. And it was one of those conversations of, uh, Ian, we're short of a marshal. I said, that's not really a question, is it? Um, <laughs> but it was it was just amazing. And, and, um, and, well, what the cars get up to in terms of... Oh, that's coming down there quick. Oh, that's oh, he's got around there. You know, I mean, it, it you you've got to be there to experience it. Yes, and it's um, there's a high degree of safety imposed. Um they have to to the regulations of the um, Motorsport Association and Motorsport UK, as it's known now. But um, you think of the average speed on on the stages. Um, I think it's about 65 mile an hour on the sealed surface now, and so you you do see cars travelling at quite a speed. Uh, on Epint, there's a number of um, deceptive corners, deceptive um, crests, and um, yeah, fans can get quite close to the action, although they're normally um, standing in safe areas these days. Yeah, and I was going to say, obviously, you do get the occasional section where they slow the cars right down with a few um, cones, etc., etc., for safety reasons. Um, yeah, it's it's 
for it's for safety reasons and also um, the, um, the the regulations we work under. You can't average over a certain speed. So if if for example a car averaged seventy mile an hour and three cars averaged seventy mile an hour, the time for that section um, you wouldn't get a winner because they've gone over the speed allocated for the section. So that's why they have chicanes to slow cars down and eat into that time a little bit to to make sure you have a winner at the end. Well, that's right. I mean, it's all about essentially clearing the stage. So if you've got all the cars doing it, well, nobody's getting ahead. So the tougher you make it, and to be fair with chicanes, that makes life more interesting. Yes, and um, the, the challenge for the organisers, obviously, is to, to slow the, the top guys down um, enough to get a winner and also to make sure that it, uh, it doesn't penalise people in them um, who have less experience and, and less modified cars. So with with regard to the actual uh, entry then, as it were, what, what sort of names do you reckon are going to be coming out and winning it? And are there any names that people and cars that people should be taking particular notice of? I think um, it's a, there's a strong top ten whatever, but if you look at the top five, um, the winner could come from any one of those probably most likely in the top three. Uh, car one is uh, Jason Pritchard. He's the uh, current national champion from uh, Bilth Wells. Um, he's driving a Ford Fiesta S2000, it's called. Uh, car number two is Damien Cole. Uh, Damien's from Abergavenny, and uh, Damien has won on Epint many times, and he's a multiple national champion. Um, car three is Bob Fowden. Uh, Bob um, he's probably won more rallies on Epping than anybody else. Bob is um, he's in his 60s, um, but a fierce competitor. He's been Welsh champion never many times and won this rally two years ago. Uh, car four is Hugh Hunter. Hugh comes from Ruthin. He's driving a, a Ford Focus, a 2005 spec uh, world rally car, and um, hasn't been on Epping for 25 years, but uh, won many events um, in Ireland and, and in this country. And car five is a different car again. It's uh, Seb Ling from Newcastle Emlyn in a Citroen um, R5. It's a DS3 R5. So the, the latest, mod, most modern cars on the... Um, on the stages. Well, I was going to say I'm a little bit biased here. My money will be on Mr. Pritchard. I first interviewed him in 2009. I've actually grown up with that young man, and in all fairness, I've interviewed many a time, and uh, he makes a brilliant doorstep sandwich. <laughs> he really does. But he's such a nice, nice person, isn't he? Yes, he's a lovely guy, Jeff. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, and and again, it's nice to have such a mix of cars. It is indeed. And you go further down in the top ten, and you have some more Subarus, and then you have um, Darien cars. They're they're purpose built for rallying. They're lightweight cars uh, built in Lampeter and um, very powerful. And um, but people who haven't been rallying before may may see they look a bit strange to them. They look like a, a kit car, which is what they are. Well, I was going to say, now you're not going to believe that you couldn't make this up, right, is the fact that I actually have been down to the, and I use this term loosely, the factory, and you go down, <laughs> yes, you go down a lane and you think, I'm going down to a farmhouse, and you are going down to a farmhouse, and then you go across a bit and there's a shed, and you walk in and all of a sudden, 21st century, there's a rally car that's being put together. It's just staggering, really. It is, it is indeed. It is. Tim Duffy's got uh, 
um, quite a place down there. Um, right, and, and in terms of motorsport generally now, um, it, it's still very much grassroots where the passion is, isn't it? Um, yes, if if you think um, there are stages, there's, there's different categories of rallying. There is um, like tarmac rallying on Epping on Sunday. Um, there is forestry rallying, so that could be through the South Wales, Mid Wales, North Wales forests. And there's also um, there's also single venues like at Pembrey. And there's also night rallies. Now night rallies are very popular as well. So they happen on on a Saturday night. And last weekend there was one in Lampeter with with 90 cars competing. And and in 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 overall motorsport terms, and I, and I'm going to be picking my words very carefully here. It is relatively cheap in certain aspects of rallying, isn't it? Um, yes. I picked my words carefully. Don't forget that. But yes, fine. You you can spend as much as you want. Um, if you go into the night rallies, you know, some people use uh, virtually standard cars there, and it's it's a cheaper end of motorsport, and the, the further up you get and the bigger power car you get, the more you spend, and then you start spending on tyres, but you can get in relatively cheaply. And and the other nice thing, I mean, even if you get in relatively cheaply, I mean, the atmosphere between the teams and the drivers, it's one big family, isn't it? Yes, yes, and um, you, you'll pull into service, you've got a problem, and um, you're, you're competitors, you're fierce on the stages, but then you'll be walking around and say, have you got one of these? Have you got that? Can I borrow it? And they'll lend you stuff, you know, which, which you wouldn't get in many other sports, because... Um, they want the rallies won on the stages and not um, not in a service area, you know? No, that's right. And, I mean, it's many, many years now since, um, I think it was Ari Vatanen, wasn't it, that they had to wave down somebody with a three-litre Capri to get the diff off the back of it, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> See how sad I am, I remember things like that. Yes, yeah. Um, right, I mean, well, we'll touch on a bit on your passion for motorsport now, Alan. You've been good enough to come on. Um, so, how long have you been involved in it? And... But why cars of it, you know, was it, why not knitting or crocheting or squash or anything, but cars, why cars for you? Well, um, I've been competing for 33 years and um, I used to play rugby and soccer and got into it. I was from West Wales and a mate of mine wanted to do one of these night rallies. Um, I I did the rally with him. He never did another rally and I've done about 400 since. And uh, you, you navigator or driver? I'm a co-driver. Co-driver. Um, interestingly, I, I had the conversation with Nicky Chris. They are a bit of name dropping as yeah. well when he interviewed Nicky. And he said, well, simply the, the, the logical thing is, well, look, I can't afford the car. So that's how I ended up co-driving. But in, it, in its own way, to get a stage right in terms of calling the notes has to be as pleasurable, if not more pleasurable, than driving sometimes. Yeah, it's, it, there's, um, there's a certain satisfaction, because you know the guy can't go... When you're both on song, you, go, you can go much faster. You know, if, if, um, if the co-driver isn't up to the job or not doing his job well, that'll probably knock a second a mile, if not more, off, off the driver and, and vice versa, you know? How, how do you feel that, that sort of pace notes and, and the whole rallying scene in the period you've been doing it has actually changed? Has it, has it been for the better with the more pressure on the notes as opposed to the driver just thinking, which way is this going to go? Um, it, it's in a way, it's more pleasurable because although there was an art in reading maps, and, and there still is, 
um, you're still at the behest of what the guy from Ordnance Survey, how he's defined that on that day. But with the notes, you know they're very accurate. That's what it is. And um, it takes one dimension of risk out of it. Um, and what about then if, if you sort of uh, recce the stage? I mean, how, how much in, in terms of reccying are you allowed on events like this? Um, this weekend, you have two passes on every stage and that's about the norm some events overseas you'll get three passes but two passes is about the norm on um, i'm sort of british events mm. and so what, what, have there been any events where actually you've done your recce and then conditions have changed and you've had to literally throw the notes out or take a guess um well the, the conditions change but the notes don't you know right okay then so even if it's wet you've still got yes the salt corner is the same degree. Right. Um, ah, right. So, yeah, you're calling it, yeah. Yes. You, yeah. You know, everything is... So you're approaching things the same way, even in the snow. It's the same degree, but, um, you know, you, you're not... You may be on different tyres for that circumstance, but you... The notes don't change. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's more a case of what the driver does with the notes in terms of if it's flat. Well, obviously, in the dry, it's flat and quicker and it's still flat in the snow even though it's slower if that makes sense yes and and depending if it's in the snow you might need to give that information a little bit sooner because they need to react that much sooner before they get to a corner yeah 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 so uh, of all the years that you've been doing it then has there been a particular rally or a result that you'll be telling your grandkids about a moment or or an event um i've been very lucky I've, i've rallied um, all over the world and, and been quite successful. Um, I think the one place that is it's quite different because um, rallying is the number two sport there and you wouldn't expect it is in Barbados. So you've done a rally in Barbados? I've, I've rallied Barbados five times and uh, we won it once. Wow, so I guess that was your moment then, winning in Barbados. And what in was the Bar- car? Um, it was a Focus World Rally car. Okay, and, and your driver then? Uh, Paul Bird. Yeah. Um, who runs uh, motorbike teams. Right, okay, so I, I guess, well, that was your moment then. And, and but, the, but that's the thing then, to me, in my head, right, I mean, it was bad enough when they moved the RAC rally, showing my age, to September, and I thought, this is wrong. Yes. You go rallying in the summer, and it's, uh, this is why race retro usually is pretty good, because you go to race retro in February and it's cold. This year it was warm. Yes. I mean, what's, it's all going wrong. <laughs> rallying should, you know, rallying in this country should be in the winter. End of. <laughs> the marshals would prefer it dry <laughs> so what's the what's the best bit for you about rallying then Ali to, to wrap this up um, for me th- there's two things I enjoy the recce there's a challenge about getting it right and then it's the challenge of that teamwork of getting it together you know brilliant okay so it's this weekend Saturday and Sunday yeah. or just Sunday it's a recce on Saturday and the rally's on Sunday rally on Sunday where does it start and where does it finish it starts on the ranges mm. um, so between Brecon and, and um, Llandavri going towards Llewell yep. um, it's there it starts at 9 o'clock mm. and um, it's all go from there wonderful and what time what time sort of do they finish um, I think the first cars did finish about half past three, four o'clock. Right, okay, so it's it's a full day's entertainment for very little as long as you want to wrap up or just walk for miles. Exactly, exactly. Brilliant, sounds like fun to me. Uh, right, Alid, thank you very much indeed, and you've been so good, I reckon we're going to get you on again. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you, bye. Oh, and, uh, and good luck with the weekend. Thank you, cheers. 
Right, well, my thanks to Ali Davis, who uh, less than an hour ago was minding his own business and he ended up turning out to be a radio star. Ali, you are now officially a GTFM driver's seat radio star. Um, We had Dave Richards on again, and so if you don't appreciate what those guys in body shops do now, well, there's no hope for you. Um, Fascinating chat. And uh, if you're thinking half of it, oh, I don't understand that, you were tuned into the wrong show. It's car stuff, you. Um, talking of car stuff, of course, Tim Nash uh, talking about the Celtic Manor event on the 16th of June. So go to the Celtic Manor website, check that out. And, uh, well, Fuzzington Townsend, the legend that is Fuzz Townsend. He was awesome. I only rang him this evening. I did see him a couple of, well, up at uh, Race Retro. And he said, yeah, no problem, I'll do that, Ian. And absolute legend. So, uh, yeah, you should have, well not be listening now and you should be watching fuzz and uh well enjoying it so uh, my thanks to all my guests uh, i'll be back next on gtfm on tuesday for community link and in a month's time well i say a month sort of first thursday in april which is the fourth of uh, april that'll be driver's seat from seven till nine so until then there is only one tune i can finish with because it's the tune i usually finish with Good night.